How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well, hopefully. Well, um, we're trucking through our series in uh, on weird stuff Christians believe. We've kind of wrapped up the narrative portion of the series where we, we literally followed. I don't know if you guys realize this, but we followed in over the course of the last uh, couple weeks the the entire narrative of, of the Bible, starting in Genesis with the revelation of who God is and ending in, uh, in Revelation with the understanding of the church and the kingdom. And now we're kind of taking a step back and we're going to be looking at um, a couple things that kind of permeate the entirety of Scripture. They might not fit in neatly into uh, the specific narrative of Scripture, but they do allow us to, uh, to be, they show themselves kind of consistently, constantly throughout the, uh, the course of the Scriptures. And so uh, we've got this week and next week and then the following week. I want to just kind of throw this out to you guys so that you'll be thinking. Uh, we've gotten a lot of requests from uh, from people, lots of questions. I've, I get lots of uh, questions from a lot of you after services and, and uh, through all the advents of social media and technology. And so what we've kind of decided to do is to take a week, um, not this, not next week, but the following week, if we're going to open it up to uh, questions. So we like to do that occasionally when the series kind of uh, justifies it. It's not anything we want to do to be gimmicky or anything like that, but we feel like there's, an, there's occasions where it's helpful for us to be able to ask those questions. And uh, we touched a lot of stuff, right? In this series, we kind of touched on um, everything. So uh, we want to give you a chance. So that's a great week also, just to kind of throw this out to you, to invite some people who've got questions about Christianity, got questions about what does the Bible really teach? There's a lot of crap out there that people claim that we believe um, that we don't. Or people that things that people try to make the main issue that are side issues, okay? And so um, we, this is a great opportunity to be able to do that. Uh, we'll be communicating next week how you can get those questions into us midweek, and then you'll also be able to text them in or Facebook them in or I don't know what else in on the actual week of. So uh, what we're going to do real fast, what, the topic we're going to touch on this morning permeates the entirety of Scripture. So what I want to do is take some time. We're going to just read a whole slug of... Uh, of scriptures. And so what I'd love us to be able to do, if we don't mind, not to be religious or weird, but if we could stand for the reading of God's word, that would just make Jesus happy, I think. So uh, I'm just going to read through these. I'm not preaching off of these. I just kind of want them in your hearing, in your thinking, kind of so that you're aware of them as we dive into the passage that we're going to be really chewing into this morning. So this is a First Chronicles 16.29. says, ascribe to the Lord the glory of do his name, bring an offering and come before him, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. John 18, 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Hebrews 13, 15, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. John 4, 23 through 25. But the hour is coming and is now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth truth. Matthew 4.10, then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve 
and in him only shall you serve. Romans 1, 24 through 25, therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, catch this please, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Last but not least, 1 John 5.21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word this morning. And we, we do honor your word, not because it's some dead religious writing, not because it's some uh, weird pseudo-spiritual sacred text, but God, we honor your word because we know that through it you speak to us. And God, we come to your word desperate to hear your voice. God, allow us to hear from you. Allow us to receive from you. Give us the ability that is beyond ourselves to perceive that which you are saying to us this day. God, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive. But God, even more than these things, I ask that you would enable us to grab a hold of and understand what it is that you say to us in such a way that it transforms the way that we think and alters the way that we live. Let us be doers of your word and not hearers only. God, don't let us leave this place the same as we came in. Don't let us walk out of this building walking the same way we walked into this building. But God, rather, let us be transformed through our encounter with you and our encounter with your word. Let us be different. Let us be changed. Let us be more like Jesus. You might be more glorified through our lives. In Jesus' name, everybody said? All right, thank you. You guys go ahead and sit down. One more slide here before we really jump in this morning. Okay, I lied. I have a couple more slides. Uh, this is our doctrinal statement this morning. As Christians, we believe that God is uniquely and unequally valuable. I'm going to give you one more try. We'll edit that out of the podcast so people think you're cooler. As Christians, we believe that God is uniquely and unequally valuable. Okay, good. Seven of you are excited. Awesome. Um, as Christians, we believe that God is uniquely and unequally valuable and that it is right and good for us to worship Him alone. This is kind of the premise under which we are discussing this morning. The idea that worship is something that ought to be ascribed to only Jesus. Now, uh, this is a huge topic, and as you all saw just a few minutes ago, uh, I was a worship leader before I was a preacher. So I kind of come at, to be honest with you, preaching from the mindset of a worship leader. I, I led worship long before, years before anyone was ever stupid enough to hand me a mic and let me talk in front of people. Um, just let you in a little bit on my journey. The only people that would let me preach when I first started preaching were homeless people downtown. <laughs> I had a passion for God's word and I was studying and I was seeing things and I was so excited about sharing this with people that I would go downtown in Spokane and just I would, here's what I would do. I know no one would just listen to me preach downtown because let's be, that's creepy. So I would bring my guitar and I would like play horribly bad cover songs of second music until enough people gathered around and then I would like throw the guitar in the case and just start preaching and people were just kind of stuck. They're like, I don't know where to go. And I would call them out if they tried to leave. Like, where are you going? You got questions? Let's keep talking. It was bad. Don't ever do that. I'm not presenting that as a model to be followed, but more of a confession to be forgiven of. Um, 
But worship is very important to us. Worship is very important to us as a church. But here's the bigger picture. Worship is very important to God. I found this great quote from a guy named uh, uh, William uh, Nichols. He's the guy, if, you have, if any of you are familiar with the Book of Common Prayers, he was the editor, kind of the chief editor of compiling that. People say he wrote it. Well, he didn't really write it. He just gathered these prayers. Here's what he says about worship. I, I love this. He says, worship is the supreme and only indispensable activity of the Christian church. It alone will endure like the love for God, which it expresses into heaven when all other activities of the church will have passed away. It must, therefore, even more strictly than any of the lesser essential doings of the church come under the criticism and control of the revelation on which the church is founded. Let me say that in a slightly different, more normal way. As a church, back up, as the church, we're called to disciple, right? We're called to love one another. We're called to to preach the gospel and make disciples. We are, we're called to, to bear the, the weight and the needs of one another. We're called to serve our community. We're called to give to our local church. We're called to uh, um, love, serve, bless one another and the city we live in. All these things are good and right things. But eventually, every activity of the church will cease except for worshiping God. There'll come a day, you realize this, there will come a day when you will not need to go on a missions trip anymore. There will come a day when you no longer need to be transformed evermore into his likeness. You will have, you'll be changed, the scriptures tell us, as in the twinkling of an eye. There will come a day when we are in heaven with Jesus in eternity, when all prophecy and speaking in tongues will be over with. But there will never come a day. There will never be a time when time has ceased to exist, worship will continue. It is the only, I love, the only, come on, indispensable activity of the church. We're going to talk about this in more detail later, but every time we get a picture into heaven, all we see is worship. If you don't like worship, you're really not going to like heaven. I was going to say that a different way, but I don't want to get emails this week. Because um, you'd have to go to the other place if you don't like worship. I mean, they're, they're really, honestly, all heaven's going to be. We, 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 we see these movies, right? And there's this stupid American cultural picture of heaven. It's like the place where there's just free bacon. Or heaven's the place where like fat, naked babies with wings on their back just float around and we just kind of get served on and waited on and all your dreams come true and it's like voting for Pedro. It's, it's great and everything's wonderful. That's not what heaven's about. Heaven is the place where all other distractions have ceased and the utter and total absolutely, completely and totally captivating image of God is shown to our hearts and all that can happen is a response in worship. Worship is what heaven is all about. So as the church, we need to take some time and say, you know what? Let's make sure that our attitude toward worship, here's a shocker, is biblical. If there's one thing that as a church we need to be doing biblically, 
I'm going to say it this way. It's worship. So let's take some time and let's look at the scriptures. Let's look at what it is that we need to do as worship. So what I want to do is I want to look at one passage this morning and really chew into it and really dig into it. So uh, we're going to look at this. This is Romans. Romans uh, 11, 36. It says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. How many things? All things. To him be glory forever. Amen. From him to... Who's the point of this? <laughs> Jesus. Who's it all about? Jesus. All things are about Jesus. Worship is a response to the person and actions of Jesus. Worship is our both response by choice and by reaction to who God is, by, for what he does and for who he is. We all worship. Here's, I need to just, oh, this is such a huge topic, and I only have so much time. Worship, let me explain this. Worship is not something that some people do. Worship is something that all of us do. The question is not, are you a worshiper or not? The question is, what or who do you worship? There is no if in worship. We are wired by God to be worshipers, to offer up praise and adoration and worship to things. The only question is, do you worship creation or creator? That's it. There's, there's no, well, I pick C. No, there isn't a C. I'm not a worshiper at all. Yes, you are. It's fundamental to the nature of man that we are worshipers. It's the way God wired us, made us, and created us. So then we call worship, for the sake of our discussion this morning, we're going to divide this a little bit. We're going to be a little bit more specific. If you worship God, if you, if you ascribe glory and honor and value to God, we're going to call that worship this morning. Okay? If you, if you ascribe glory and honor and value to anything other than God, we're going to call it what the Bible calls it. Are you ready? Can we use Bible words here? It's idolatry. It's like, I didn't cheat on my wife. No, idolatry. <laughs> Not adultery, idolatry. Some of you are like, I don't get it. I don't understand. The worship of idols. Now, I don't have time, nor do I feel like it is my place this morning or my or my duty this morning to deal with this gigantic issue of idols, but I need to touch on it just so that we kind of have a, an understanding here together of what it is that we're, we're, we're addressing. So idolatry is the corruption of God's gift to us of being worshipers. It's where it is corrupted, where the object of our worship, of our desire, of our, of our glory, glorification, of our honor gets pulled away from the creator and replaced with something that is created. And here's what I want you to understand. That destroys both the worshiper and the one being worshiped. It is not conducive to either. If you don't believe this, let's stop and think about it. In our culture, we worship celebrities. We value them, right? We, we honor them. We have giant award ceremonies where we applaud them for their work. 
Tuesday and I can't watch the Oscars. I didn't say that. (laughs) Follow me here for a second. We fill stadiums with people that stare at them as they do what they're good at. Sports, music, theater, all of this. We we, we have this going on, all this stuff. And, And if we stop and we look, and you take a, a, just a snapshot of those that are worshipped, and you look at their lives by the time they get to the end of their lives, and most of the time, if not always, their life becomes a wreck. You look at young celebrities, we see this all the time, especially, it's, it's more manifest in them because, not, not honestly because it affects them more, I don't believe, I just think they're, they're worse at hiding it. They're worse at hiding the effects on their lives. And you see, as, as young people are worshipped, they receive worship, and their lives fall apart. Why? Because they're, they're unable to bear the weight of it. Let me bury this in our backyard. Your wife, husband, girlfriend, boyfriend, friend, kids, relationships with other people, they can't handle your worship either. When you make them your idol, you destroy them. We can't bear the weight of the perfection that worshipers demand. We can't hold it. We can't contain it. Just put it bluntly, idolatry is the root of almost every problem in your life. You have replaced the rightful worship of God with something else, and that's led to a problem. See, God gave us things for our enjoyment that they might roll up, ricochet, reverberate into worship for him. This is the Christian understanding. This is the biblical belief. Not that food is bad. Food is good, given to us to enjoy. But in enjoying food, the idea is not that the enjoyment or the experience terminates upon itself, but rather that it rolls up, ricochets, responds into worship of God. I eat a good steak. Thank you, Jesus, for making cows. They're awesome. Okay? Alcohol is not bad or wrong. I drink a good beer. I thank Jesus that he loves me. This week, I, I met with some pastors. I get together with them about once a month, and it's my turn to get to pick where we went to eat. So I went to Lee's Teriyaki, the only place in Spokane that I know of that serves spa that doesn't have poison in it, also known as MSG. So I went there, and they said, what do you want? I said, I want this one, the one with all this, just put the whole barnyard in the bowl. He said, how big a one do you want? I said, find the biggest container. You are legally allowed to serve me. Fill it full of it and bring it here. You're not going to be able to eat it. Oh, you're in for something special. And she did. She brought me out a way bigger bowl than she was supposed to, and I ate the whole thing. Did you Instagram it? No, I didn't take the time. I was enjoying it, and people were staring. I'm not even kidding and judging me. It was waved. And the whole time, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not lying to you, but the whole time I'm thinking, I am loved by God. Worship erupts from a bowl of pho. It's amazing. This is the goal. The problem is not the stuff. The problem is when you make the thing the object of worship. You don't have an eating disorder. You have an idol problem. You don't have a sexual dysfunction. You have an idol problem. You don't have an alcohol disease. You have an idol problem. The biblical answer for these problems is to get rid of the idol, to replace it with the rightful recipient of our worship, Jesus. 
So I don't have time to talk about idols. That was me not having time to talk about idols. So here's what I want to do for two reasons. One, you come, I'm going to have uh, Jerome hand this out real fast. Um, and I'm going to ask everybody to take one, even if you don't want to. You can make a paper airplane out of it later. There's two reasons why I'm doing it this way, addressing idolatry this way. First off, I don't have time, just to be bluntly honest with you. Secondly, though, because the working through of this, the working through of this issue and this problem, and really addressing the idolatry problem in your heart, just going to be honest, is something that really is best done by you and Jesus alone. Am I allowed to say as a pastor that there's some things that are better with just you and Jesus and not in the context of a local church in this kind of a setting? Jesus died so that you could be a part of his body, but you do not lose your individual identity in becoming a part of a body. And a lot of times the the working, now please understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying hide your idols, don't talk about them, pretend like you don't have them. I'm saying the discovery of the idols in your life is something that can be a very personal and very blunt and very painful experience. And so I want to honor the working of the Holy Spirit and giving you, I'm going to be honest, it's homework, it's a worksheet to look through and to help kind of discover the idols and those things in your own heart, begin to confess them to the Lord, begin to cry out for his working in your life, and then begin to bring them to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. If you're married, talk to your spouse about him. If you're single, find a brother or sister in the Lord that you can confide in and work through these things together. But the initial work, I think, is done best alone. So this handout is your homework to kind of chew through. And it's just, uh, it's just a little worksheet, I guess you could call it, to try to help discover the idols in your life. That's me not preaching about idols this morning. Let's get back to worship, okay? So all of us worship. All of us are worshipers. It's what you worship, not if you worship. That's the key. That's the question. That's the, that's the understanding. That's the framework. And what Romans 11.36 tells us is that all of it, everything is about Jesus. This is one of those verses that I get the understanding of that rolling up into worship for him. From him and through him and to him are all things. Everything. We, we say this all the time. It's all about Jesus. Everything is about him. It's not about Sunday morning. It's not about when we sing. It's not uh, the church is all about Jesus. No, your entire life, everything is about him. He's the purpose. He's the focus. He's the reason for all of it. So let me just be blunt here real fast. What, when we say worship, we're talking now specifically about worship. What do we mean? Sometimes it's easier to understand what worship is by understanding what it's not. Worship is not a service. It's not the church service that you're part of. Well, I'm going to worship service today. It's not what, that's not worship. When we're talking about worship, that's not worship. It's not a style of music that only has three chords because we don't know anymore. All the musicians are laughing. It's not a style of music. It's not something religious people do. It's not singing. It's not, it's also, some of you are like, yeah, it's not thing I can worship. It's also not standing in church with your hands in your pocket and thinking happy Jesus thoughts. Worship is none of those things. Another great quote here. Um, this is by John Piper, one of my heroes. This is from, this for all you men in the room, this Tuesday we'll be gathering together and uh, having our men's book club. This is from the book we're reading. It's called Desiring God. 
This is John Piper's talking about worship, and here's how he defines worship. Worship, he says, is strong affections for God, rooted in truth, are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. I'm going to read that again. Strong affections for God. Strong affections. It's an emotional thing. I have no emotion. I was raised in church, and Christians are not to have emotions. Emotions are bad. Boring is good. Not according to the Bible. Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. Worship is about expressing, demonstrating our affection for God. I don't know if I can give you a simpler definition of worship. But let's look back to, to this here for a second. So I want us to understand that there's more going on on a Sunday morning. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to kind of zero pinpoint in on, now on, on Sunday morning worship. Can we do that real fast? Am I allowed to do that here real quick? Can we, can we zoom in? If we're, if we're talking about biblical worship, if we're saying that, that it's the, the core, soul, extreme, you, you know, necessary forever thing that the church is going to do. We do worship together, correct? We spend a large majority of our service worshiping. So let's understand worship, our corporate singing on Sunday worship, biblically. Now, before I talk about that, let me say this. I believe there's more going on in a Sunday morning than just the strict definition of what I'm about to define as biblical worship on a Sunday morning. As we're singing and what's going on here, his presence is here with us, amen? And there's more happening in your heart, in my heart, and in our hearts together than just worship. There's prayer. We're praying to Jesus. There's, there's prophetic declaration that happens in the midst of worship. There's meditation. There's, there's contemplation. All of these things are good. Okay, I'm not denying these things. But when we talk about, when we talk about worshiping, what are we talking about? Let's define this. Let's, let's grab a hold of worship. And if we're going to see worship, we need to see it biblically. Amen. Jesus tells us that, that we ought to pray, let what is done in heaven be done on earth. So when we see worship in heaven, that's our model for worship on earth. Amen. This isn't, this isn't rocket surgery, right? This is, this is, should be understandable for us. So let's see what happens. How do they worship in heaven? How do they exalt God in heaven? We're going to look at two passages. We're going to look at Old Testament and New Testament. Isaiah 6, 1 through 3, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. We'll definitely be chewing through this as a church here in the next, uh, probably this year. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne, high and lifted up. Where is God? On the throne, in the highest place. He's the focal point. He's the focus. He's what it's all about. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Temple in that day, we could, we can honestly substitute the body of Christ. You and I are the temple of the Lord. We are the temple of the Lord. We are being built up into a habitation for God. So in the context of church, we are the temple. And his robe fills the temple. Above him stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. And with two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. These are just freaking cool. Angels in the Bible are way cooler than angels on TV. I'm just going to be honest. And one called to another and said, listen, please hear this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of 
outposts. The whole earth is filled, is full of His glory. Talked about this. The whole, the glory of God is His holiness. When it gets proclaimed or demonstrated, we see that, we perceive that, we experience that as glory. In the Old Testament, what we see consistently, constantly, and I just grabbed this because I liked it. What we see when we see in heaven is heaven declaring, shouting, holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. Let me just let you in on this. If, you were, if we were able right now to like flip on the webcam in heaven right now, this is what you'd see. Whole earth is filled with his glory. They're, they're shouting, they're singing, they're declaring the holiness of God. When we see biblical heavenly worship in the Old Testament, we see it as completely and utterly centered upon, fixated upon, obsessed with God and His character and His nature. These angels are declaring the holiness of God. You want to sing a song, if you're, if you're ever wondering what you ought to sing, you don't know any worship songs, just simply declare the holiness of God. Holiness is his, the unique attributes, that which makes him so unequally and uniquely valuable. His separateness, his otherness, his, his distinctiveness against our, uh, you know, so commonness with everybody else. It's his separateness, his holiness. We see that demonstrated and declared in the Old Testament. Now we fast forward to the New Testament. This just blows my mind every time. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5, 9 through 10. This is now John, New Testament, inside the gospel, under grace. I don't have time to go into the depth of all this implies. This just is amazing to me. John now in the book of Revelation is seeing into heaven and they sang a what? New song. People complain we do too many new songs here. Well, we're just being like that. That was really late. We shouldn't have. They sang a new song. It's, it's like for, for eternity past, all they'd been singing. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy. And then because of the cross, because of the, the, the triumph of, of God's demonstration of who he is, all of a sudden they all got together and they said, no, no, we got to do a new one. Let's do a new song. And here's what they sang. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. It doesn't stop there. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads, and thousands of thousands, singing with a loud voice. That's why we do worship loud here. We're being like heaven. With a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor, and glory, and blessing. What's the new song? Worthy. Holy, 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 worthy, worthy, worthy. 
You want to get biblical with your worship? Begin to declare the unique attributes of God. Begin to declare his holiness. Begin to declare his worthiness above all and in supremacy to all else. A lot more going on on Sunday morning than just this worship. But here's what I need us to get. This is worship. Standing with your hands in your pockets and thinking happy Jesus thoughts is not worship. Declare. I love, we read it earlier, Hebrews. Let us offer up to God a sacrifice. What what sacrifice does the New Testament call for? Your money. No. New Testament, what what is the biblical sacrifice that God calls for? The fruit of your lips giving praise to his name. Worship is not a time for us to stand around here while people on the stage sing and we just hope that it's not too long and we can get out of here before the restaurant gets full. It's about us coming together and with the fruit of our lips declaring the goodness, the holiness, the worthiness of God. That's biblical worship. Biblical worship is not asking God for you to do things for you, for him to do things for you. Now that's prayer and that's a good thing for us to sing together. I'm not putting that down and I'm not saying we're never going to sing a song like that. But when it comes down to what is necessary for us to be singing on a Sunday morning together, when it comes down to what is it that is going to allow us to worship, we are going to sing songs that speak of, declare, and praise God for who he is. This is biblical worship. Get back to our passage here. Let's go to Romans chapter 12 now, verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, what? therefore what? Because God, because it's all about Jesus, right? Because everything's all about him, because worship is about him, and, and everything is about him, and from him and to him and through him are all things, and let all the glory and all the honor be given to Jesus. Therefore, what? Therefore, sing happy songs about God. Therefore, gather together in a church, give your money, sing your songs, and help the poor. Fight social injustice. No. Therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your what? Spiritual worship. We talked about Sunday morning worship. Important. I need us to understand that. Why? Because in Sunday morning, please hear me, please understand this. In Sunday morning, we are are standing in a theater demonstrating true biblical worship. So that we can learn in this practice, in this act, in this dramatization, how we ought to live our lives. We sing songs that declare the holiness and the glory and the worthiness of God. We declare that he is the one on the throne and not me and not Justin Bieber and not somebody else and not the president and not our favorite party politically and not some random other person, but God is seated on the throne. Jesus is what it's all about. And then we walk out of here and we go, you know what? My whole life needs to come under that revelation. My whole life needs to demonstrate that. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual worship. That word spiritual is the, in the Greek is the same word where we get the word logical from. In the, I love it. In the King James, it actually 
that word is pronounced, or that word is, is translated reasonable. Here's what I think Paul is getting at here. Here's what I think the Holy Spirit is trying to get us to see. Jesus gave his life for you and calls you to live the same way. Not to earn grace, but by the mercies of God. Empowered by them, motivated by them, because of them. Because you are reconciled with Christ. Because you have been shown mercy. Because grace has been applied to you. Because your sins are forgiven. Now live in such a way that your life brings honor and glory to God. Empowered by the same grace that purchased you. How amazing is that? That the same grace, we say it this way at Sozo, the same grace that forgives you of your sin, frees you of your sin. It's the same grace. There's not two separate graces. Well, I'm forgiven, but I'm still bound. Then you're not experiencing, grabbing a hold of, understanding, and receiving the grace that brought you forgiveness. Your life is meant to be the platform on which your true, spiritual, reasonable, logical worship is proclaimed. Let me put it this way. The way you live your life has great importance and great significance in eternity. Not, not because it earns you a place in heaven. You screwed that up a long time ago. It's not because it earns you a place in heaven. It's because you have a place in heaven. That we live the way we do. That we allow the, the scrutiny and the control of the revelation of Jesus to bear fruit in our lives. Let's lay on this thing. Present your bodies, living sacrifice. It's your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Presence of God that comes as we worship is the very engine that transforms our lives. We believe it is, it is a core value, a, a non-negotiable truth that we tie ourselves to here, that the presence of God, come on somebody, is valuable. We honor it and we value it because it's Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the Father. It is God come to dwell with us here. As you experience that, you are transformed. Notice I didn't say as you try harder. It's not the gospel. Now let me very quickly. If you only ever worship, just going to be re this is me pastoring you. I wish I could take you out to coffee and do this one on one, but I can't. So you just get it right here. If you worship with all of your heart, if you, if you respond to God, as you, as you receive the revelation of who Jesus is, as you allow that to the greatest extent possible to ricochet, reverberate, resonate into worship of him on Sunday mornings, I guarantee you your life will be transformed. As you see Jesus, as you press into his presence, you come away from that looking more like Jesus. If you do that on Sundays, you will be transformed week by week.
If, however, you come to realize the ever-present awareness of the inner-dwelling Christ, and you live your life day by day as worship to him, you will be transformed day by day. You will move from a once a week transformation to a daily transformation. Can I take it one step further? If you begin to live moment to moment in the ever present awareness of the inner dwelling Christ, you will begin to be transformed moment to moment. I pray every week that as we leave this place, we wouldn't leave the same way we came in. What if that became our prayer all the time? Don't let me take the next step I take in my life like I took the last step. Not because I'm trying harder. Not because I'm a better Christian now. Look, I am a horrible Christian. Oh, you run out of the church. I'm a horrible Christian. My, my, My message to you is not be a better Christian. My message to you is realize the amazing, outlandish, supreme, glorious Savior that you have. Because it is, in, it is in that revelation that you are transformed ever more like Christ. Some of you are like, the Christian just needs a little Christ. I know. Stop it. You know what I'm saying. We all know what I'm saying. In his presence, we're transformed as we worship. We're transformed. The last, last thing, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. We're going to practice biblical worship. We're going to back up to point number one and practice biblical worship. So, they're going to come up. I just want to, I want to end with this. Need us to understand where I think this passage, this verse, verse 2 ends, is an important thing for us. Calls us to recognize, realize in verse 36, the supremacy of Christ in all things. Amen? To offer our lives to him as worship. To not be transformed by what we see in the world, but by, or not to be conformed to what we see in the world, but to be transformed by, by his presence. Amen? And from that, resonating out of that, we see something. That in that, we become able to know what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Let me put it this way. Let me, let me put it as simply as I can. When God is glorified, we are satisfied. These are not mutually exclusive. Well, I have to be miserable so God can be glorified. I can't do anything I like. Eat the pho, man. It's delicious. And glorify God. They're not mutually exclusive. Issue comes in here when the things become idols. Because some of you go, I worship every Sunday and I I leave the same as I come in. You know why? Because you're taking, love you. You are partaking of the cure and drinking the poison all at the same time. You're worshiping Jesus for an hour and a half on Sundays and worshiping idols all the rest of your life and wondering why this isn't transforming you. You can't be conformed to the image of the world, hello, and beg for transformation all at the same time. They're mutually exclusive. So we're going to stand to our feet and we're going to worship again as a demonstration as a dramatization like like communion which we are opening up by the way see that segue wasn't that awesome communion tables opens off put their faith in Jesus in that we 
demonstrate in that we put on display the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus for us. It serves as a reminder. In baptism, we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus in our life. We put on that drama in baptism. In worship, in singing biblical worship, declaring the holiness and worthiness of God, we learn, we demonstrate, we dramatize dramatize the worship that is called from our lives. And like in heaven, we're going to sing a new song. We're going to worship Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come into this place again. God, we invite you to come and have your way. To be glorified, to be magnified, and to be exalted in this place. In Jesus' name.